Hi, this is Taking Social Stock, episode 15. Taking Social Stock is a weekly podcast hosted by me, Heather. And me, Andy. We are going to talk about social workers and cops today, Andy. It's true. So you picked out an article, uh, something that's local to us and kind of, I guess, related to the defund the police movement. Yeah, here in Missouri, uh, one of our big cities is St. Louis. And this article is called, In the 1980s, St. Louis Police Partnered with Social Workers Only to Abandon the Effort. And it's a build-on of another article talking about something that's going to begin in January 2021 around a program called Cops and Clinicians, where they're going to institute a practice of combining social workers to work with some police departments in the St. Louis area. Yeah, and it looks like the program that's coming up next year is, it's not unique. It looks like they're modeling it heavily after the one in Houston, which started in, I think, 95 or something. And they started similar programs in a few other states, too, in big metro areas. Yeah. So with this article going back to the 1980s example, what stood out to you? Well, I was curious about it more than anything to see what is it that they they did. And... The article itself interviews one of the social workers. Her name is Amy Helgeman, who was a part of that program in the 80s. And it's more like a walkthrough, kind of a memoir for her. So she has strong opinions that the program was successful, but it ended when the funding ended after like three or three and a half years. I have a lot of questions from that, though, because I think social work being my background, my profession, I I think it's important to critique one's own space. And there wasn't a lot of data to back up what she was saying. So I think it was successful to her. It made an impact with her. And it might have objectively, but it might not have. So that's really what interested me about this article. Okay. Yeah. When I read through it, one thing that stood out to me is they talk about her piece in the 1980s. And then they talk about the future cops and clinicians. And kind of seemed like the, what was her name? Hilgeman? Mm Mm-hmm. She didn't think the future program yeah. looked as bright because, you know, they're responding with the cops versus responding separately from the cops. Yep. But it's been proven to work in other areas, especially Houston. So I, I found it interesting that without even really having data about this future program, and it's a totally different environment, 1980s versus 2020s, I think a lot of crime is the same, but there's also a lot of differences. Services are different that are available to people of mental illnesses and Mm -hmm. mental needs that are similar but also different in the two times yeah i think that you know i want i want to hear her and validate her opinion you know i think the one of the things she said is the mindset is the same then when she was doing this work in the 80s as it is now systemically yes i think there's truth to that absolutely we know that there are a lot of issues in the policing system itself um, but I think that this is one of those situations where I don't know her. I wasn't having this conversation. I wasn't poking and prodding. I don't know all the questions that were asked. But I do think she, based on the way the article is constructed, very biased in kind of discounting what the program could be based on her experience 30 plus years ago. Yeah, and the program 30 plus years ago was started by the United Way, or was funded by the United Way. looks like they gave money to an organization called the Magdala Foundation, and they organized it locally. I think they had, what was it like, 
18, I think 18 social workers or something eventually that were working. Initially, it was a dedicated group of six. They were available from 7 a.m. till midnight, seven days a week. And I, th- I think they got up to like 18 people. But the Magdala Foundation still exists. And looking into them, because it's kind of curious, what did they, I don't know what they did then specifically, but what do they do now? They do still exist. And they're more focused towards intellectual and behavioral needs. But mm-hmm. they are very community-based. It's not just for a lot of those kind of organizations from usually focus on kids. These are focused towards, looks like a more holistic like approach, like providing housing, especially focused on some related to drug use and family situations and trying to be kind of almost like a, a middle way between coming out of jail and providing a transitional period. Mm-hmm. I don't know the organization or familiar with it, so I'm glad that you looked into that. You know, I think one of the... I tottered back and forth, teetered back and forth between these two articles. So they're just going to, we're going to talk about both of them. There's really no way to talk about one without the other, I don't what's, think. What's the other article? The other article, it focuses on cops and clinicians. So okay, can, so the one linked in the first article? Yes. Yeah, I read that one too. So one of the things about social work that I think is important to discuss or to, to acknowledge for all social workers to do this is that just because we feel something has made an impact, like some of the things she says in this article is talking about what they would do and the impact that they made. I'm sure they did, and I, I'm sure she was directly tied to that experience, but what that doesn't tell us is objectively how effective that was. And that's something that is really important to think about in the social work space is just because you think something was helpful, it might have been neutral, it might have been harmful, it might have not, uh, it might have been helpful, but it's a bunch of mites and those don't add up to a lot of proving effectiveness or not. So that's where I think she doesn't have an argument in terms of what the program could be for the future. But I think what is important about this article is they tried it in St. Louis in the 80s. And we, mm-hmm. I've never heard about that before. Being in Missouri, never heard anything about that. Her point of view is almost a little negative towards the police because they didn't continue funding it. And it's not really surprising. This was something, the way it seems like it was set up in the 80s was they were funded by the United Way and they were allowed to partner with the police, but they were kind of separate. Calls were routed to them. They were given some, basically handed off some cases. But in that regard, it's not necessarily showing a value to the police force. They had no finance that they could say like, hey, this is going to reduce our cost overall by having these social workers or this group come in and provide intervention services versus when you get to the cops and clinicians article, they talk about how in Houston, they, I don't, maybe it wasn't that article, maybe something else I read. One case of of an individual who had been arrested like 18 times and the cost of the police force was like 182,000 or something dollars. If they are able to get in there, have the social worker look through their medical history, figure out where maybe their diagnosis was left off, where something failed and figure out a better system. You don't have that recurring arresting and policing system on that one individual. It's costing hundreds of thousands of dollars. Said maybe you can figure out a one-time solution and save the force money that way Mm -hmm. by not having to spend as much resource for one person who has mental illness. Yep. Yeah. And when it comes to data, I do think there are a couple things in addition to what you're talking about that are that are it could be a different outcome for cops and clinicians than that similar-esque program in the 80s is data is more easily accessible 
now than it was in the 80s in terms of being able to read, uh, click peer-reviewed articles, scholarly articles, looking into what exists that's a lot more accessible to people across the board with technology now. Another thing is that there are eyes, I think, on the policing system in a way, in a critical way, in a promisingly critical way than there was in the 80s. So I think the system is set up to track and learn from these cops and clinicians or different programs that are happening around the country. That said, there, there aren't a ton. Like they, you talked about in Houston, I believe they were able to get up to like 50% of the call traffic. They were able to outsource from cops to like um, social workers, people where they, they really could better handle the situation. That's what they're hoping to do in St. Louis as well. Now that said, these these are exciting, they're promising numbers, but we're still learning because this isn't something that's a common practice. So it's kind of this balance between what's called evidence-based research, which there is some evidence-based research, like what's happening in Houston or what happened in Houston, but then also something that's called research-based practices, which means that different programs that want to want to try new things, they can look to the research, what exists to have shown to have promise or be working well, and maybe modify it or try something new. I think that's one of the cool things is to be able to point to something that has been proven effective and say, okay, that works for Houston. What might look a little bit different in St. Louis? What do we have to take into account for this city, the way it's structured, its history, contextually. I think that's one of the, the most exciting things is it gives space to work with a foundation of something that seems to have promise and then also to modify it to try to make it better and learn based on those modifications what do work well and maybe what does not work so well. I would agree. They definitely will have to adapt what they do in St. Louis because it is slightly different than just on a, a pure basic level. You need more dual, langu- dual language cops and clinicians in Houston than you will in St. Louis. There are different aspects to the city. There's different microcultures that you have to kind of interact with. I think it's actually smart to pair the way they're doing it in this new program, of pairing them in the same cop car. Because one of the things they kind of can do is while the cop is running the arrest record and that history of someone they've had to interact with, like one example I saw was this guy who wheels out of a Walmart with this TV in his cart, doesn't stop, just walks right out. Well, when they pull up, this individual has a history of mental illness. He thinks that God told him that through satellite that this is his TV. Mm -hmm. Normally, this person would be arrested and sent to jail. But when you have the cops and the clinician in the car, one can look up their mental health history, the other can look up their criminal history, and you can figure out where the gaps are. The whole purpose is to eliminate as much traffic into the jail. The cops are going to have a good handle on what part of the community they deal with on a regular basis, and clinicians, if they work in that neighborhood, are going to be dealing with similar but also different, so they can share notes in the car, which I think is important. There has to be some collaboration. And the end goal to me would be if they actually are collaborating, that you see both sides kind of get educated on what the other side's doing and how to incorporate better practices all around. Yeah. I'm not convinced that the ride along is the best strategy, but that's some of my biases coming in there. 
what I would love to see is in a perfect world, it'd be this program that's a kind of a, not a pilot because it's been tried before, but new to St. Louis, so pilot in that way, is a lot more than the 16 clinicians they have funding for to get into this. Because I would like to learn, uh, there are a few things I'd like to learn. I want to track this study or this, this program because they're going to have to report on and along the way what's working, what's not, what they're seeing. I would love to see in a perfect world, I'm making up a number, they had 100 clinicians for this. And you saw a portion of them doing ride-alongs. You saw a portion of them handling calls that were rerouted to them to see where is it most effective, where is it not, what's the training for the cops and the social workers to work together. Because although they do have to work together, and this is probably a whole other kind of show, but there are people who are social workers in jobs where they are part of the carceral system more so, and some who are not and some who are by day and are fighting it by night is the whole thing. But I'd be, and there's a lot that I think will be interesting to see. One thing we didn't talk about that I think is awesome is the way that this is funding is funded is that it is the a police j- or jail being defunded in action. Mm-hmm. So in St. Louis, there was the workhouse, which if you had to put it into like a one sentence kind of thing, it, it was a modern day debtor's jail, even though those are illegal, but it would be akin to that. People would spend a lot of time there because they couldn't afford bail. Disproportionately, Black people, people of color, it finally got defunded. And that's what's that's what's fueling this program, which there's so there's so much in this that I am encouraged to to see happen. Not it's not going to be perfect. There are going to be some things that probably work pretty well, some things that are going to work OK, and some things that probably are not going to go well at all. But going back to the original article, there was this was tried before in a way. It doesn't seem like there was a lot of data points, at least in the article discussed about it. And it seems to be more done, done more so strategically now, taking into account what really is needed to prove if the program is effective or not here. Yeah, that 1980s program, it really seems like they got the money and then they figured out how to use it in a lot of ways. They did have like a kind of crisis call line that calls could be routed from 911. I would assume this part of this cops and clinicians, they should do something similar. Ideally, don't send people out. Yeah. Uh, that would be the best solution. One of the other things they did in the 1980s program they mentioned was if it was like a dispute between multiple families, there was like a community issue, they would, I think they called them paddy wagons in the article, but they would haul them all into the police station so they could have like a group counseling session. I don't know if that's ideal. I just could see a lot of communities not being like, no, 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 I'm not getting in a car and going to the police station if I did nothing wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So (laughs) I wouldn't, would you? No. (laughs) And I really think St. Louis, we don't have as much illegal immigration or, you know, people in our community that are as fearful about deportation. But in places like Houston, you would definitely. So that clearly wouldn't be a solution there. A lot of people in St. Louis who have a very legitimate mistrust of the police, though. Yes. So I could see a lot of people being very unwilling to go to the police station, but that was the way they were set up in the 80s. So those are obviously things they could iterate on. You take some of the good, some of the bad from that. And you move forward with it. The defunding part, it is interesting. They closed out this medium security institution, the workhouse, and it freed up. It was a trash hole, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. I I looked. So it's $860,000 that they have budgeted for it. The real question to me is, will we actually see that full $860,000 
devoted to this program. Are they, what are they going to pay the clinicians? Mm-hmm. I'm curious about that because I'm very curious about that too. St. Louis, as an area, tends to pay very poorly mm-hmm. for social service yes. employees. There's a lot of them in the area because there's a few schools that do offer programs in social work. But in general, the jobs yeah. underpay. Missouri so, social workers are quite underpaid. Yes. Yeah. And so when you look at the city, the city is probably going to say, well, what what is the lowest, you know, like 25% paid? That's what we want to start at. You're not going to get the skill sets they need because you're going to be approaching a very diverse community that is not in a calm setting. So you need a lot of skill. Yep. So I'm curious if they're going to pay people enough to get the good quality people they need. I look at it, their plan is what, 16? 16, yeah. Starting out. That only works out to what, like 50-ish thousand each? Because also they're then having to pay insurance and all these other things on top of it. So yeah, I'm not sure. And I also would expect that they spend that that $860 starts getting whittled away as they say, well, we need to spend it on this too. That's just how these budgets go. Yeah, I am really curious to hear from what the people are being paid how my guess is if they're calling them clinicians my guess is they will be striving for people who have their lcsw their licensed clinical social worker i am not an i'm not a clinical social worker and um what that if they can get them what that would mean is they have had they've went through schooling got at least their masters had i think at least a couple of thousand dollars a couple thousand hours under their belt of supervised supervised Gosh, what's the word? They're being supervised to get their licensure in a like a work setting kind of situation. So they're skilled, they're capable, but I don't know if they're going to be able to get them. And I don't know what they're looking for, or what they're classifying as clinicians. So I think it's probably partially just a catchy phrase more than yeah. if they're necessarily going to hire all yeah. clinicians. Yeah, but I'm I'm very I am curious. It's also, you know, it's we won't be able to get all this information, I'm sure, but I would like to know what are the people who are hired, their exposure in the workforce. Because I remember I, where I went to school, it was a non-traditional setting. So we did have some students who were fresh out of undergrad at like the typical college age who did not have any experience in, I don't think really working a whole lot with people in a setting that you would think for social workers, some who were older and lots of experience. I, you know, sometimes the way they go, the people they might be able to afford might not be the people who have much experience outside of reading their theoretical books. So we'll see. Talking about the age, one of the things they point out in the article is... And not nothing on age, but I'm just saying exposure. I'm getting something else here. It's experience. They talk to someone here who is a police officer and they say, you know, you do a lot of training around tactics and law, but the background... And explaining the background officers bring to the situation when they're called out to the field. We said on the other side of it, you're 20. Mm-hmm. And as a 22-year-old, most cops, when they join the force, don't even have life experience necessary to deal with the situations they're forced with. That's kind of my point with the social workers that they might be able to hire at the budget they're seeking. They may not have the experience. Yep. They may have their LCSW, but they don't have enough diversified experience to deal with the very diversified experiences they'll have in this kind of program. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think there's so I agree with that. And as as somebody who um, identifies as a social worker, I feel hopeful because it's, again, cool to see social workers being utilized in a space and acknowledged in a space that they traditionally have not been 
acknowledged in because they do have the skill sets. They are trained for this kind of space, de-escalation tactics, those kind of things. On the flip side, it's, it's always important to critique your own profession because there's always issues within it. So I think that's all I have. I'm going to see how it plays out. Do you have anything else to add? I do not. No, I'm pretty good. This is interesting to me. I didn't know that this was launching in St. Louis. So I'm glad you found the article and shared it because I don't follow the news and I wouldn't have known. Yeah, I think it's a little bit under the radar too. I heard something about it several months ago, but that's kind of where it stopped, I, I think. Well, I guess that'll wrap it up then. So if you have questions or comments on this topic, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at takingsocialstock at gmail.com. Also, leave us a review if you haven't done that yet. We do prefer. We really like five-star ones, FYI. And otherwise, we'll see you next week. 